But I've got a question for you. If there was a way for you to know the future, I, I mean, really know exactly what will happen in the future. Would you get that job that you applied for? Would you, you're young and you're not married, you, you know exactly who your future spouse will be. You, you know exactly whether or not that marriage is going to be a good marriage or unhappy marriage or, or that illness that you've come up with that you know whether you're going to be healed or whether you're, it's going to result in death. If you knew exactly, exactly when and how you would die, I mean, if you could know such things, would you avail yourself of such knowledge? And if so, and this is the real question, do you think that kind of knowledge, would, whatever it is that you, know, you gain about what you really want, do you think that it will truly give to you security? It will give to you prosperity or or peace of mind. You know, I think an example back in classic literature, the parents of Oedipus. They learned the future of their baby son, that he would one day grow up and he's going to kill his father and marry his mother. And they didn't like that kind of news, but they sure were glad to find out what to expect so they could do something about it. And as you know, what they did about it is what caused it to actually happen later on in the future. So knowledge of the future, we, we, we want it, but rather than that kind of knowledge, being able to then use that to take control of our lives, how much time often does that kind of knowledge end up controlling us? Saul's going to find out for himself. And what we need to find out today is what is it that we really do need Now, let's look at our our text again. We have Saul. He's he's really a pitiable character now, isn't he? Years have gone by since he was a young, shy man that had been proclaimed Israel's first king. He, he, He was nervous about it in the first place, but he showed some promise. He had some heart. In his efforts to do what a king, what they wanted a king to do, which was to defend them from their enemies. But indecision, lack of nerve, it led to him more than once compromising the clear commands of the Lord, particularly as they were conveyed through Samuel. And finally, Samuel pronounced God's rejection of him as king. And indeed, also said that. Someone else, a neighbor, was going to be appointed to be that king. Now, we know that that someone else was David. And Saul, instead of yielding to the Lord's decision, made David his enemy. And in fact, his mind became so disfigured. Do you remember that incident in which he murders, or he has murdered, the high priest and all of the high priest's family just on a, a suspicion You know, that he was on David's side. And indeed, he became so fixated on on killing this, the other anointed of God. So that his whole life basically is devoted to chasing after David. Well, now he's, 
on the eve of what is to be his greatest battle against all the forces of the Philistines. And he doesn't know what to do. He's afraid. As it says in our text, his heart trembled greatly. And worst of all for Saul, the very worst, he was alone. We're told how he inquired of the Lord through, through different ways, uh, dreams, uh, the Urim, whatever exactly that was, uh, through, through prophets, and nothing worked. No one had a word from the Lord. You know, but, you know, when I read it, but you kind of just want to say to so, what do you expect? You murdered the priest of the Lord. But, but anyhow, here he is, a desperate man. But the one person that he missed most is Samuel. I mean, Samuel was harsh. He was tough on Saul, but Saul could trust him. Saul could trust his word as truth. He could trust Samuel's counsel as, as being wise. Only... He could just speak to Samuel now, before this great battle before him. Well, so again, Saul will compromise the Lord's law. And he'll do it again out of a feeling of desperation. And this time, he will seek out a medium. Now, earlier in his reign, we're told here, no doubt from the counsel of of Samuel, we're told that he had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. Now, this is in keeping with the law of Moses. Let me read to you. There's several texts on it, but I'll read the main one to you from Deuteronomy 18. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. But here again, Saul, in his fear, in his desperation, just got to speak to Samuel. Now, I want to just say, before we go any further, it's beyond my purpose to discuss the, the ability of this, of this woman medium. Can she really call up the dead or communicate with them or not? And nor to get into the implications of Samuel comes up and where was Samuel and and so on. That's not the interest of the writer in this text. So we're, and and one thing I did want to just add about that, we do make, um, it's dangerous. When you're reading a text that has talking about one purpose to come up with other things that it's really not addressing and try to make doctrine out of that. So we're just going to avoid that now and get to the heart of the matter. It is Samuel's message to Saul that matters here in this text. Now, Saul had explained to Samuel, who's irritated yet again with Saul about why he's disturbing him. Come into great distress. The Philistines are warring against me. God's turned away from me and answers me no more. 
Can't get them by prophets or dreams. That's why I need you, Samuel. Now, Samuel, again, if you've been following along this series, you know how exasperated he got with Saul during his life here on earth, and he's just as exasperated here. Basically, this is his his response. Saul, how do I get it through your thick skull? Remember, I told you before that the Lord had rejected you because of your disobedience, just like you're doing right now. Here you are disobeying the very laws that you were enforcing about calling using a medium. I told you that the Lord had chosen someone else. You knew that it was David to receive the kingdom. And what do you do? You tried to kill him. And now you you want advice about what to do about that big army out there? I mean, what are you expecting me to say? You you want some nifty military strategy? Are you you looking for some words or ritual, maybe some kind of sacrifice to, to get on God's good side? I'll tell you the future. It ends tomorrow for you and for your sons. Goodbye. So Saul got his wish. He wanted to talk to Samuel. He wanted to hear from Samuel. And his wish led him deeper into despair. Now Saul's desperate measure here invites us. I mean, we can't help but to consider this whole matter of the occult. Deuteronomy passage that I read, it gives a good list of what follows, what follows under that. And you can kind of group them into to three categories. Okay, remember, there's the divination, the fortune-telling, and the interpreting omens. So this is the category of getting special knowledge about the future, okay, and getting it through some kind of supernatural means. There's a second category that's listed as the sorcering, the using charms, the casting of spells. That's practicing witchcraft. Or something like that to achieve an end. Maybe you want to put a curse on your enemy. Or maybe you want to win uh, a lover, someone who's going to be your spouse. And then there's a third category. And that's the medium, the necromancer, and the one who inquires of the dead. And these, all three of these, have to some way of communicating with the dead or the spirit world. Now, it's of this third category that Saul's availing of himself so he can communicate with Samuel. And and by the way, you know, I've looked in this. I have no idea where we get that term, the witch of Endor. I cannot find a translation that uses the term witch. And I don't know why in our NAV Bibles it's got that as a heading, witch of Endor, when it doesn't even use that name. It's a medium. She's not a witch. She's... She's a medium uh, on there. But whatever category, whatever the means, Scripture is clear. Have nothing to do with such practices. Do not consult palm readers. Do not look up your horoscope. Do not use crystals or, or magic potions, no matter how harmless or, or how entertaining these kind of novelties might seem. Do not go to fortune tellers, and do not ever, indeed, make it clear, 
never use mediums or any means to try to consult the dead or spirits. No matter how much you may have missed a loved one, do not try to communicate with them or bring them back through these supernatural means. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, you feel like, you know, I, I feel like I'm talking to my loved one. That, that's fine. I'm talking about going to a medium and trying to bring that loved one from wherever they may be to talk to them. No matter how desperate you may feel about your future, do not try to make contact with any kind of spirit. Because to do so, as a Christian, it is to directly disobey your God. And why is God against, so against these occult practices? It's not too difficult to figure it out. Because they reflect a mistrust of God. Even a direct opposition to him. And that Deuteronomy passage, which made clear is, these are the practices of the pagan nations, of the nations that do not know the true God. And however they may be innocent, they might appear today. Understand that they are derived from a view of the world that is completely, diametrically opposed to the Jewish Christian origins and view of the world. Indeed, they're derived from Satan, either directly through practitioners that acknowledge that or through indirectly through nations that, you know, once worship idols or maybe even still worship idols today. To be a Christian, a follower of Christ, one must give up the arts of his enemy. You know, there's an informative episode about this in the book of Acts uh, regarding this very thing. Paul had come to Ephesus, where many have turned to Christ. And in Acts 19, it says this. It says, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and indulging and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts, these types of things, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. You can't hold on to both. Now, many oppose occult practices today because they just say, well, look, it's the practitioners, they're, they're fakes, they're fraudulent. That was the view of Harry Houdini. He devoted much of his energy to exposing fake seances and mediums. He, he never did actually believe in that stuff, even though we think it's, be, it's said it was because of his mother dying. He was always against it. And he would go to seances and expose the, you know, the, whatever they were, the tellers or mediums or so on, showing how it was done. In fact, he was so opposed to this, it broke up a friendship that he had with Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of Sherlock Holmes. Conan Doyle was an ardent believer in spiritism and eventually had to go different ways. But as Christians, understand this. I mean, you know, most of the practitioners are probably are fraudulent. 
You know, they're all they're trying to do is get your money. But whether or not they are, I mean, I, I have no doubt that some are very sincere. It's irrelevant to us. See, as Christians, we do believe in the supernatural. We believe in God. Okay? We believe in angels. We believe that once one dies, they go on and continue to live in the spirit. We believe that there's a devil. We believe that he has a host of evil spirits. So all the more then, we must be wary of dabbling in any kind of occult practice. There is very real spiritual evil. And we have no business, no business whatsoever opening ourselves, even in fun, to that kind of contact. And yet there remains a fascination with this kind of stuff, with the occult. And I was thinking about it, and I think one reason is for the same reason we like, we like superheroes. We feel inadequate. There's so much going on and we can't do anything about it. And Well, we can't have the strength of the superheroes and those kind of powers. Well, then how neat it would be to, to possess a potion or a spell that that gives us power to do something. I mean, how wonderful it would be like to, to be like Harry Potter. You know? That appealed to Simon the Magician in Samaria. If you remember that story in Acts. And he's the one who was, who was a great magician of his day. And he sees Peter and John come and he, they lay hands on people. And, and something happens. The Holy Spirit comes on them and he sees great works taking place. And he says... I want that. How much does it cost? Okay. People like power. But I think the, the greater desire with this is not so much about power as it is knowledge. We want to know. Particularly, we want to know the future. We want to know where our loved ones have gone. We want to know what it is, it is like for them. We're afraid of dying. And so we want some kind of a a sign, a testation that, you know, things are going to be okay. We're we're afraid of the future in in our present lives. And so how nice it would be to have information to know that the decisions we make will be the the right decisions. Again, we, we want to know so that we will be okay. What do we have? Well, as Christians, we have faith. We have faith that there is a God. We have faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We have faith that there is life after death, that there is a heaven. But what we really want is to know these things as clearly as we know. So when we walk out, we know that the sun is up there in the sky. Or that to things we believe are as real as our neighbors that we see and, and, and touch and talk to. When you think about it, what we really want, I mean, we would say this, but what we really want is we want to be like God. And we want to be like God, why? Because in the end, well, we're not sure what he tells us is true. And so we want signs. We want to hear voices. 
We want to experience what is beyond our senses. We want to, we want to see the invisible so that we can have real assurance. Okay, now I really know that there is a God. Now I, I really know that there is heaven because of this experience that I've had. But the very essence of the gospel and for our relationship with God, the very essence is to trust him by faith. And to demand more than what God has told us, what he's told us through the revealed written word, what is an affront to him. And you think about it, it's not hard to understand. I mean, how many times have you gotten aggravated because you told someone something that you knew, some news, something you saw, something that has happened, and they say to you, well, prove it. I'm not going to believe it until I see it for myself, until I hear it for myself. And you want to say, why can't you believe me? Why can't you just trust me? Well, God wants the same of us. God wants to be believed. We speak of the importance of believing in God. But I tell you, the greater importance is believing God. Believing that he is who he says he is. Believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believing God's promises. Remember the story of Thomas? All the disciples said, we've seen Jesus. He says, until I see him, until I put my finger in his side, you know, I'm not going to believe. Jesus appears. Thomas falls on his knees and says, my Lord and my God, and How does Jesus reply? Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, there's a parable. You know, when Jesus tells of the rich man and the poor beggar named Lazarus, they both die. The rich man is in hell. Uh, Lazarus is right there at the bosom of Abraham, and he, he... And so the um, rich man pleads with Abraham, look, would you please send Lazarus back from the dead to my house where my brothers are and warn them of their danger? And Abraham replies, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the scriptures. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, that'll do it. They will repent. And Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. His point is this. These men, this is a Jewish society. They would have been raised from birth to know and to believe the scriptures. Now, they're not going to listen to those scriptures now. Don't think that a ghost is going to be able to do the job. The problem is not lack of knowledge. It's not lack of evidence. The problem is a hard, disobedient heart. And the same thing can be said of us. We who are Christians. We who do believe in God. We who have the Holy Spirit in us. We became born again. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
who is still in us and still sanctifying us, we above all people should be those who simply trust the revealed word of God. All one needs to know, all one needs to know is what God has revealed to us in his word. He has revealed himself so that we may know him, we may know what he is like. He has revealed the work of Jesus Christ so that we know how to be saved and how we may rest in our salvation. He has revealed his his will for us so that we know what type of life it is that pleases him. And he has revealed his promises to us so that we can have reassurance, so we can take comfort and have peace. You know, we we overstress trying to know God's particular will for our lives. You know, when we were in college, who are we going to marry? What career are we going to follow? What what course of study to take? Where, Where are we going to live? Even as we're older now, you know, am I making the right decision? Is this where God wants me to live? Is this the right doctor to go to? And all these things. But the key to living is not having to get all of these answers figured out ahead of time. The key to living is to follow the clear, revealed will of God about how to live now. And if we do that, and if we trust the promises of God, what's the promise of God? That he will do all things in such a way that is for our good. So that he fulfills his purpose to make us more and more like Christ. Well, what more do we need to know? And think about it. Is it not better to live a life not having to know every outcome? Isn't it better knowing the future is not going to to make us live so that we are more trusting of God. My goodness, if we had to keep having him show us evidence, that doesn't build trust. It's not going to make us more faithful. It's not going to make us more loving people. And in the end, isn't that what matters, that we are faithful and loving people who trust our Lord? Is it not better at the end of our earthly lives to be able to say that we lived trusting our Lord, to take care for us, Rather than saying, well, you know, I was able to look ahead and I got, went to a fortune teller and I was able to manipulate the system so I could get ahead. Isn't it better to say that I put my life in the hands of my Lord and I trusted him for whatever the outcome may be? And the only concern I had was to be faithful and obeying him. You know, we live, we've talked about this before, in one of the most unsettling times in the history of our country. I mean, the culture around us is is becoming ever more hostile to our beliefs, to our values. And we don't know what the near future holds for us. We don't know what it holds for our children or for our grandchildren. But what we do know, all we know, all we need to know, is that the future is held in the hands of our almighty God. Earth and heaven belong to him. 
And all we need to know is the one in whom we believe and that he is trustworthy, that he is able, that he is willing to carry to completion that work that he has begun in us, that he has begun in his creation. We don't need to know the near future. All we need to know is how the play will end. And it will end in glory. It will end in the glory of God. And that is all one needs to know. We thank you, our God, for this wondrous knowledge that we have. That all things will end in your glory. And that all that matters here is to be faithful unto you. And even then to know that even that depends not upon us but upon the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, upon the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit to continue in that work, for you to keep your promises, and you we know, because you have told us, you will keep your promises. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.